I'd like to um, uh, begin the message today with another reading from Ephesians chapter 2. I think it's page two, uh, 827. Page 827. I'm going to read Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 10. Ephesians 2, commencing at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. There is a sermon outline in the middle of your service sheet, and uh, it's probably a little different to the ones that Scott does, but uh, you might like to be able, might want to follow that with us as a as I proclaim God's word this morning. You'll notice, I suppose, that, um, uh, just a little aside, that in the two readings I gave my wife the difficult one and uh, so that I could have the easy one. But, uh, um, but, it, it, but, was, but she did well, she practised well, and, and Luke was only too happy that he wasn't doing the reading today. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord God... Your son said that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Thank you, Lord, for speaking so clearly to us. Thank you that by your sovereign grace you have chosen to speak through so many different human authors over so many centuries. And thank you, Lord God, that we can read your word and hear you speaking to us in our hearts. And this morning, we ask that you will speak to us, open the eyes of our hearts, help us to be not only informed, but transformed by your Holy Spirit. Help us to engage with you, Lord, in your word and by your power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in the precious and the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour and our Lord. Amen. About two years ago, the world champion surfer Mick Fanning thought his number was up. 
while competing in South Africa, he came face to face with a great white shark. And this encounter changed his life forever. I don't know whether you wondered, but I wondered just what was going through his mind when he stared into the jaws of this man-eater. No doubt his adrenaline level would have soared, fear ripping through his body, hopelessness through his mind. Well, we don't really know. He's made a few comments in the press. Maybe one day the glossies will buy, will buy his story. But we do know one thing. He survived the impossible. Somehow, he slammed the shark on the back and it ran away. Yes, he survived the impossible. About two decades ago, another young man survived the impossible. After days of being buried under tons of rubble and concrete at Threadbow in the Snowy Mountains, this young man was rescued from the massive disaster that killed so many people. Yes, he too survived the impossible. Both of these men were in a hopeless situation, but they survived. Let's go back a little earlier. About 3,000 years ago, a man who had been banished to the desert to live an obscure existence in fear of his life not only survived the impossible, but had his life totally transformed. This morning, we have before us the beautiful story of King David and a fellow whose name is almost unpronounceable, Mephibosheth. You might ask, why is Rod preaching on this little tiny story in the middle of the Old Testament, one that's uh, very rarely read. Uh, I'm sure it's, uh, when it is read, it's understood. But why? Why is Rod preaching on this passage? Well, I've chosen this passage this morning for two reasons. Firstly, I believe that each one of us needs to, to get a greater grasp of the grace of our almighty God. We need to, to just not, I mean, it's something we've grown up with, it's something we've learned from Sunday school days right through, and it's something, dare I say it, that often we can take for granted. But God's grace is not something to be taken for granted at all. In fact, in our, throughout our whole life, we need to be growing in grace, growing in in the magnitude and the hugeness of what it really means to us. And I hope this morning, and I pray this morning, that indeed through this little story, that we will get a greater glimpse of God's wondrous grace. Okay, we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But how amazing is it? How amazing is it to you, to me? So that's the first reason why I've picked this passage this morning. The second reason is that next week, as Andrew indicated in the announcements, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper. You come to the communion table and celebrate together with the bread and the wine. And indeed, we'll be feasting together at the King's table. 
in case you had forgotten the reading that Dawn read this morning, Mephibosheth always ate at the king's table three times. And friends, we, as children of God, can come to the table of the Lord and feast at his table. One commentator describes this account in the Old Testament as being the greatest illustration of grace in the entire Old Testament. And I think I would have to agree. Let's look at the story, but before we do, let's put it in its proper context. The nation of Israel was in disarray, considerably weakened by the behaviour of her first human king, King Saul. He was a weak leader. He disobeyed God. In fact, he tried to take over from God. And he spent much time during his reign in his frenetic hunt for David, who was to succeed him. And because of all of this, the nation of Israel was under constant attack by her enemies, by the surrounding nations. And they were defeated time and time again. Saul died on the battlefield. And God anointed David as his people's king. And there the tide turned. David was a man of God. David was a man with God's heart. And David was victorious over all the nation's enemies. He defeated the Philistines, the Moabites, the Zobahites, the Arameans, the Edomites and the Ammonites. Not quite right, is it? The Lord defeated all their enemies. We read in the, the, the earlier chapter, in chapter 8, verse 6, the Lord gave David victory wherever he went. And just in case you missed the point, seven verses later, what do we read? The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. Now in those days, it was often the custom of the Eastern dynasties when a new king took over, that some of the family of the outgoing king were to be wiped out so they couldn't usurp the throne. This was not always the case, but it did happen from time to time. And this, of course, meant that Saul's relations perhaps should be done away with. But sometime earlier, and we read in 1 Samuel chapter 20, David, the new king, had promised Saul's son Jonathan that when he became king, he would look after his family. That's the broad setting for our story today. Well, one morning, many years later, David sat down in his palace and began to reminisce. He'd defeated his enemies, he'd sorted out his cabinet, and he remembered his promise to Jonathan. He called the chief servant. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Kindness here is not really a good translation of the Hebrew word hesed. It really means sort of loyal love, unconditional acceptance, special favour, proactive love, a really strong word. Is there anyone, he asks. He doesn't ask Ziba, is there anyone worthy? 
or anyone qualified or anyone good enough or anyone important enough, but simply, is there anyone? Well, Ziba, the servant of Saul's household, was called. Is there no one still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Well, Ziba's puzzled. Well, there is still, still a son of Jonathan, he said, but, 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 but he's crippled in both feet. He says under his breath, you really wouldn't want to know him, king. Where is he? asked David. He doesn't ask how badly he's crippled. He doesn't ask what he looks like. He doesn't ask how he was crippled. We know because in passages earlier that indeed when they were fleeing from the persecutors, as a baby he was, he was dropped by his nurse and his legs were both smashed. But he doesn't ask those questions at all. He simply says, where is he? You see, that's the way of grace. It is not choosy. It's not conditional. It's not earned. Well, Zeba's truly baffled. He thinks under his breath, well, King, you know, are you really sure? Uh, this guy wouldn't look too good in your palace. Uh, didn't you hear me? He's crippled. He's useless. He can't walk. But he reluctantly answers. He's at Makia's house in Lodabar. Well, Lodabar was the desert, absolute desert. Uh, with no, it was totally barren, no food, no vegetation, nothing. Not like our great sandy desert or the Simpson Desert or whether, wherever we, we get wildflowers and things like that. There's nothing in Lodabar, absolutely nothing. Bring him to me, said David. Now let's pause for a few moments. Picture the scene that we have. The mighty warrior king. The king of God's people. The one with all the clout in the world. The one who has been anointed by God himself. And here he is. Wanting to get together with a miserable cripple. A fellow who can't even look after himself. Well, also let's not forget that in those days a physical disability was often seen as the result of God's judgment. So here we have God's most favoured servant, God's anointed one, stooping down to the lowest of the low. Incredible. Particularly when you think of the dynasties back in those days, 3,000 years ago. Well, what happened? The servants set off for Lodabar. Has anyone been, uh, travelled around the um, sand dunes around Stockton Beach near Newcastle? Um, if you, uh, Dawn and I have been around there with a church group in our four-wheel drives and getting bogged and all sorts of things. But in the valleys of those sand dunes, because the sand dunes at Stockton Beach go for miles in either direction, and in the valleys of one of them, there are these little humpies where people live. They're sort of uh, corrugated iron little humpies there where people live. I don't know how they live there. I don't know how they get their food. I don't know any of that at all. But th I guess that's a bit like um, Mephibosheth's little humpy in Lodabar, in the desert. 
wouldn't have been much corrugated iron back in those days, but, um, uh, but he would have lived in a little humpy. Well, the servants of the king arrived. Can you, can you imagine, just for a moment, the sheer terror and fear that Mephibosheth would have gone through when he heard the knock on the door? Can you imagine his fright when he heard the words, the king wants to see you? It could only be one thing, couldn't it? This is the moment that he had been fearing all his life. His days are numbered. And naturally, he went along to the palace. He had no choice, did he? And when he arrived, he bowed down before the king, prostrating himself before him as if that was going to do any good. Once again, picture the scene. Just picture it. A cripple staggering in with, on his crutches into the king's palace, throwing away his crutches with a great crash on the terrazzo floor and bowing down before the king. Your, your servant is here. You could almost hear the trembling in his voice. And then Mephibosheth could hardly believe his ears. Don't be afraid, for I will show, surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? Mephibosheth went to the palace expecting the sword and received a presentation instead. Once again, he couldn't believe his ears. He bowed down and said, What is your servant? Should you notice a dead dog like me? What an incredible account of grace. Think about it. Let me summarise it. Here we have a man saved from obscurity, darkness, hopelessness, taken from the back blocks of misery and brought into the king's palace, saved from fear and destruction and given the king's blessings, given a property and 35 workers to run it, given a future. We read in a few, few chapters later on in 2 Samuel how David saved his life again and looked after him and given a place of honour at the king's table. Three times we read it, and you will always eat at my table. In verse 7, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Verse 10, and Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Verse 13, the last verse. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. And verse 11 explains why. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. He had been adopted by King David as his own son. Only sons were permitted to eat with the king in those days. Only sons. He had been adopted. He had been adopted as David's own son. 
Well, what, let's picture the scene again. We'll look at it. The dinner bell rings. The feast is served. King David, of course, the king always comes in first. And then his sons, Amnon, Joab, Absalom, Solomon. Then we hear clump, 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 clump. Guess what? Mephibosheth is coming in on his crutches. The only sound on the terrazzo floor is Mephibosheth's crutches banging away. And after he awkwardly sits down, as David's son, the feast begins. David, the mighty king of Israel, God's king, out of sheer love for Jonathan, showers grace on his handicapped son. He takes away his fear. He takes away his hopelessness. He gives him a future. Isn't that a most beautiful illustration of God's grace? Isn't it? Am I the only one that thinks it is? Isn't it a most beautiful illustration? A couple of nods. Thank you. But friends, there is a greater story. God, the almighty creator of all things, the sustainer of all, showers grace to handicapped sinners who trust in him. This is the greatest story of all, that God, by his grace, has relieved us from our hopelessness, our barrenness, our death, our fear. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are so similar to Mephibosheth. He was physically handicapped in hiding from the king. We were spiritually handicapped. Also, may I suggest, in hiding from the king. Look at Adam and Eve. God created all things perfect. He created a perfect man, a perfect woman. They had a perfect relationship with each other. They had a perfect relationship with God. They lived in a perfect place, the Garden of Eden. But we know what happened, the rest is history. And what happened after they failed to obey God? They went into hiding. Mephibosheth was hiding out in Lodabar. We've been hiding whether we, whether we like it or not before we came to faith in Christ. Mephibosheth had absolutely nothing to offer David. He could repay nothing. He deserved nothing. That may not be quite right. He may have deserved death. What about us? We have nothing to offer God. We can repay nothing. We're totally unworthy. We deserve nothing. Once again, that's not right. By our fail failing God, we deserve to be separated from him, his goodness, his love, his justice and his mercy forever. But God has rescued us from the pits of hell. Think about ourselves. I think Augustus Toplady, who wrote one of my favourite hymns, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, the third verse encapsulates it so well, doesn't it? Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, 
Look to thee for grace. That was us. Make it come to thee for address. I read a um, short biography, only a short one, of uh, Augustus Toplady, and it really opened my eyes. This great, wonderful man of God, this giant of the faith, wrote many hymns, didn't he? He, uh, This one was was, uh, one of the better-known ones. But, you know, what I liked about him is he majored on God's grace. And you know what he called God's grace? It's in your sermon outline. Indelible. Have you ever heard of a God's grace being called indelible before? I hadn't. But isn't that a beautiful description? It's indelible. It cannot be rubbed out. It cannot be erased. You can't press the delete button. It's indelible grace. Sure, it's incredible. Sure, it's amazing, as, as uh, John Newton said. But it's indelible grace. There's nothing you or I can do to rub it out. And that's the most magnificent news any of us can ever hear. And it's so important that each one of us needs to grow in grace, to grow in the magnitude of what God's done for us and is doing for us, should I say. Well, there are more similarities between Mephibosheth and ourselves too. David sought out Mephibosheth to bring him into his palace. God has sought you and me out to bring us into his kingdom. There's some people at the back door. I think they're hoping to come in. The front door, should I say. (laughs) I'm getting the doors mixed up. Please come in, welcome. God sought out Mephibosheth. Sorry, David sought out Mephibosheth. God has sought out you and me. Just think about that for a minute. I think that's the most incredible thing, the most amazing thing, the most wonderful thing. And if that really doesn't make our day, I don't know what will. God has sought out you and he sought me. David adopted Mephibosheth as his son and gave him all the privileges of sonship. God has adopted us as his sons and daughters and given us all the privileges, all the privileges of being his children. We are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. But adoption is not where it ends. Of course, when we come to repentance and faith in Jesus, we are justified, forgiven, redeemed, But adoption, of course, then adopted as his children. But that's not where it ends. Mephibosheth lived by grace. Every harvest on his property, every communion, every blessing from the king. Always eating at the king's table as a son. But he still had his crutches. Verse 13, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. We too live every day by the grace of the Almighty.
every day. We too still have our crutches, our hang-ups, our liabilities, our disabilities. We will not be perfect until we're in glory with God. We still have our crutches. But we know, as the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's my prayer this morning that this little story embedded in 2 Samuel will, will help you to get a greater grasp of God's grace to you. It's personal. It's what he's done for you. And as I said, it's not just grace in saving, saving us. Sure, the grace in, in raising up for us a saviour, Jesus Christ. Grace by, by, by sending Jesus to the cross. Grace in Jesus' death and resurrection. But it's not only that. It's grace every day of our lives, every aspect of our lives, the most mundane things that we can think about. Can you see yourself in this obscure man living in fear of his life vanished to the desert? Remember we read, um, I read Ephesians uh, chapter 2 and um, I read the first verse again. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Friends, we were dead in transgressions and sins, spiritually dead. Dead people can't do anything. Your acceptance of Jesus, your repentance and your coming to faith in Jesus is not of yourself. You couldn't do it. You're spiritually dead. As we read in verses 8 and 9, and it's my paraphrase, we are saved by the grace of our almighty God through faith in Jesus Christ for good works so that no one can boast. Not only has God provided us with a saviour and a Lord, not only has God provided grace throughout our lives, our entire lives, but he's also planted our faith in our hearts. He's done that. It's all by grace. Nothing that I can boast about. I've only been a Christian a, a short number of years, comparatively. But I can't claim any credit for it. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. It's the grace of God. Sure, I probably uh, argued with him a bit beforehand, but uh, as some of us may have. But it's all of grace. It's all of God. Can you see yourself eating at the king's table? Next week, we'll come here to the table of the Lord, the communion table. Next week, we'll eat of the bread, symbolising his body, and the wine, symbolising his blood. We'll be eating at the table of the king. Let's remember, let's try and grasp a little bit more of what God's grace means to us. And as with Mephibosheth, he provided him with a future. 
and an eternal home. And King David, that very same king who wrote the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. That encapsulates the whole gospel, just that one verse. But he fleshes out in the six verses of that psalm that he provides for us life and joy and peace. He provides for us safety and guidance and, et and an eternal home. Surely goodness and love will follow us all the days of our lives and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. Let's pray. Father, you are such a gracious God. We pray this morning that we will never, ever, ever take for granted your wondrous grace to each of us, how you've provided for us a saviour, how you've provided a Lord, how you've, you've planted faith in our hearts. Thank you. Thank you, Lord God, and how you, you help us with our lives with our lives and you give us peace and joy even amidst difficulties and problems in this world. We thank you for that, Lord God. We thank you that we can, we can overlook these things, these problems that we come across, whether they be uh, difficulties in relationships or, um, or health problems. But Lord, we can look to you amidst all your majesty and glory and know that you have all things in control and that you are watching over and caring for us. And by your grace, you are steering us to your eternal and mighty kingdom. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you. Amen.